Welcome to Living Water Radio. It's been said that Christianity is always one generation from extinction. How can we generate a model and message of the church that is humble, transparent, and real? How can we be the agents of renewal in our churches? My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. We're at a point in the coronavirus pandemic where Johns Hopkins says there have been 60,000 new cases a day worldwide on average over the past week. While California continues to improve, many other states are experiencing spikes in new cases, prompting fears of a second wave of coronavirus, even as flu season is just around the corner. Some are predicting that places around the world with poor cold storage facilities will get the vaccine at a much slower pace than more developed areas. We've been isolated and restricted. Our worship has changed. Our work has changed. Our education has changed. We are within two weeks of a divisive national election, and we're restless. How do we find rest in a pandemic? John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Church Movement, tells about how he had been a professional musician in Las Vegas and then toured with the Righteous Brothers. He said that in 1963, when he had first been drawn to God, he was a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician who was converted at the age of 29 while chain-smoking his way through a Quaker-led Bible study. He began reading the Bible ravenously, like a starving person being given food, and after a few weeks reading about the mighty acts of God and attending what were to him uneventful worship services, he asked a lay church leader, when do we do the stuff? You know, the stuff here in the Bible, the stuff Jesus did, like healing the sick, raising the dead, healing the blind, stuff like that. The leader told him that they didn't do that stuff anymore, just what happened in their worship services. John Wimber replied, you mean I gave up drugs for that? I think about that story sometimes, not because of what have been called the signs and wonders stuff, but because I think this story raises some important questions about what the church is and why people have found no sacrifice too small for the church and its message throughout the centuries. People who have ordered their lives by its rhythms, who have refused to deny their faith as members of the body of Christ, whatever the cost, including of their lives, whose art and architecture, music and poetry were dedicated to the glory of God. Why aren't more people in our own time active in a local church? Why is the church no longer a major influence in our society? Not that that's all bad. It's better when the church is not so entwined with the culture that people go for the business connections to feel and for others to believe that they are good persons or to be part of what we used to describe as cultural Christianity. Some people say it's because they are spiritual but not religious, that is, not restricted. They don't have to go to church to believe in God, and that's true. But it's inconceivable that a person could be a Christian and not want to be with believers in worship. 
Christianity is about relationships, our relationship with God and the common relationship with God that unites us with other believers, forming both our Christian community and the way we treat one another and the world. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. To gather in Jesus' name means to gather in his essential self. The faithful of the Old Testament, as well as the early Christians, believed that the essential self of a person was in their name. That's why God does not have a proper noun for a name. It is inconceivable that we could know God's essential self. When we gather, we gather in the essential self of God. Jesus is there among us. We gather and meet in relationship between God and among human beings. Where are the young people? And by young, I mean under 25, say. What happened to the children of the saints of the church? Busy? Gone for entertainment? Seeking fewer expectations? Youth sports? The reasons are pretty much all the same. Individualism is chosen over community, Christian community. When we gather as the people of God, what the Bible calls the body of Christ, we recognize that each of us has been given a gift, one of the non-signs and wonders gifts, for the sake of building up that body. The gift is not given to us, it is given through us, for the sake of all. We are a community, gifted to build one another up. In Matthew 16, starting at uh, the 15th verse, we read this uh, dialogue that happens in the context of the very first time anybody says out loud uh, to Jesus that they believe that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the, the Deliverer. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This passage is a defining one for both Protestants and Catholics, but in different ways. Peter had for the first time just identified Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies that God had revealed this to him. Protestants say that Jesus then said that this rock upon which the church would be built was Peter's faith. The words Peter and rock are similar in the original Greek. Catholics say that it was Peter himself on which the church would be built, that Peter would be the first pope. But in focusing on that verse's important distinction, we often miss the rest of the passage— the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the means by which the people of God experience the presence of God and salvation. It's a want-to thing, a matter of the heart, not a have-to in order to check all the boxes. We experience that root desire, but I think we have done a very poor job of communicating it. Have you ever seen a stained glass window? What does it look like from the outside? It's a lifeless, colorless blob. A void. What does it look like from the inside? Colors and patterns forming meaning and inspiration. During a time of illiteracy, they became the teaching graphics of the church. They told the whole story when on every, any given Sunday, the people of God only heard some of it. 
They inspired and lifted people up with a sense of God's majesty and glory. But only on the inside, or on the outside at night when the church is lighted from the inside. The difference is the light. I wonder if all the compromises, the desire for relevancy, the concern for professionalism, a place of respect in the community, and having the marks of success in our culture have not put us in a position where, except for a few eccentricities, we are indistinguishable from the world around us. I wonder why our political advocacy is based on the coercive threat of our numbers with no reference to our spiritual authority whatsoever. I wonder if all our attempts to adapt to the world have not ironically pushed it away. I wonder if we have so little expectation that people will repent, receive the gift of faith, and believe in the good news of Jesus that we don't even think to provide the mechanisms for a person to come to Christ and be nurtured as a new disciple. I think that we, as a group, are afraid. We are afraid of offending people, of losing friends and family members, even our closest family. We are afraid that our faith is actually so fragile that we might be challenged in such a way that we would break it. We are afraid of losing our traditions and cultural identity. We are afraid that someone might rightly point out our sinner's hypocrisy. We are afraid of being accused of being intolerant or judgmental. We fall back to rationalizations like, I don't talk about my faith, I live it. I lead people to Christ by example. I love them until they ask me why. The evangelicals or the Baptists get them born again while we raise them up into maturity. All of these would be fine if they were happening. If not, they are just the armor we put on to protect our fragility. What do we say to people when they come to us without knowing the rules of church behavior that everyone else there knows? When they come from lifestyles, jobs, friendships, or beliefs that are inconsistent with the Christian life? Are we prepared? How would we communicate the basic message of the church in our elevator speech, the speech we make when there is only a very short time of contact? At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives his disciples what we call the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, the Great Commission. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are called to go to where the broken people are and to be ready when they come looking for something and possibly not even knowing what questions to ask, not knowing what they are missing in life, only that something's wrong with the way they are living their lives now. How do we start an evangelical conversation? Would we recognize an opening for sharing the gospel if we heard it? What mechanisms do we have in our church for feeding, nurturing, and encouraging a new believer to live the Christian life and to grow in it? Our power as a church is not based on our numbers, but on the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We are called to live in humility, pointing to that power and not to our own. We cannot adapt to the world and expect the world to see us in another way, a better alternative, a more real world view. 
Recognition that we have made lots of mistakes, that we are sinners, but that we believe in a great and perfect God who has made us saints by his grace, even as we are sinners, that God accepts us as we are, but never leaves us as we are. Our confidence does not come from what is seen, but what is unseen. We must regain our confidence in a loving and gracious God. We must believe in what we glibly preach, that God is real, that God has made and continues to make a real and transformative difference in our lives. It has often been said that there is a God-shaped hole in each of us. We try to fill it with money or sex or status or personal development or whatever. But nothing in this world, no political, no economic, or social system can fill that hole. Only God can. Augustine of Hippo, a father of the church and someone who knew something about living without God and then coming to faith, wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. For that to happen, we must become more than a shell of an institutional Christianity and more of a body of Christ. Point to Jesus, name the name, and invite fearlessly or fearfully unbelievers to come to Christ and do the stuff, the transformational stuff that puts Jesus in a place that defines every part of our lives, that makes of us a new creation, born again, that gives us rest in him. That's the real stuff, not the show stuff. Pray, read your Bible, worship, serve others, be ready to defend the hope that is within you, and sometimes go on the offense. We are called in the Great Commission to go, make disciples, teach, baptize, and remember. We are not alone. Jesus promised to be with us. We are a community in his name. We are called to be the body of Christ and to point restless hearts to God. Today, let's remember to pray to be the faithful members of the body of Christ that God has equipped us to be at our local church, to be faithful in contributing and making a difference in the lives of those both within and outside the church. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at the Revs David and Sally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. 
Stay home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.